Hey y'all, thanks for joining me for episode 16 of the Roaring Out podcast. Everything I know about bewilderment and play I learned from Patrick Rosal. This is the last episode in the Everything I Know About series in which I'm giving bite-sized knowledge on a variety of topics and I'm tipping my hat to those who've helped me along the way. This episode, the last in the series, the fifth episode, focuses on my fourth and final mentor in my graduate program, Patrick Rosal. You can learn more about him in the link I provided in the show notes. So a little bit of background of why I wanted to work with Pat and also where I was at this point in my graduate career. Pat, like Ellen, um, who I spoke about in the last episode, is a free spirit, but in a very different way. He grew up with hip hop and break dancing and just this culture, which is so starkly different from mine. And yet there were similarities, you know, he grew up in an immigrant family like I did. Um, so there were issues, questions and issues of race and also, um, faith as well. You know, he has, he has a pastor in his family or priest, um, and wrestled with issues of faith as I was doing at that time. Um, so I knew I could learn so much from that, um, because there were points of commonality, but also points that were so different. Um, and I knew I could learn so much from that. Now, at this point in my graduate career, I was working on my full length manuscript. Um, and if any of you out there who are listening have put together a book, it is a bear of a task. Um, it involved a lot of cutting of the poems that you have, because of course, if you have 100, 150 poems, which I did at the time, you can't all, I mean, you can put them in one book, but that's a huge book. You know, you want to probably get it to maybe half of that, like 40 to 40-ish, 50 poems. Um, it also included writing new stuff, uh, revising my older stuff, and figuring out what the hell order I was going to put it all in. Um, and for me, it actually involved putting poems into categories. So, you know, poems about my mother were one, poems about romantic love were other, were another category, poems about God, etc. Um, just to help me see how many poems I had on each subject and to, that also helped me cut, you know, because if I had like 20 poems about God, they were all saying the same thing, maybe I only needed two, you know, like that kind of thing. So in the last episode, I really talked about the nitty gritty of revision, as well as some ideas um, for being ruthless, really, with your own revisions and whatever medium you're working in. But there's also play involved in revision, and not even just in revision, in coming up with first drafts as well. And I want to focus on that in this episode, um, but in a bit of a different format. I've sort of been taking ideas that mentors have given me and expand on them. But this time I want to focus more on the words of the mentor himself. So the semesters where I was in my MFA program, they focused on monthly correspondence between mentors and mentees. I'm not sure if that's the right word, but it's the one I'm using, uh, between mentors and mentees and writing cover letters each month. And they're, they're not, you know, formal, like those that you would write at a job, but at least for me, it was, you know, talking about insights I've gained from readings and also asking questions, lots of questions about my poems. And from the mentors, 
they would give their own feedback and also ask questions in response. So what I'll do for this episode is read some excerpts from Pat's cover letters to me because I think they really contain a lot of wisdom and insight and a lot of ideas for play and revision uh, that I think could be useful for you guys. And after each excerpt that I read, I will comment and sort of parse out a few things that I, to this day, still find interesting. Um, the correspondence between me and Pat happened like five, six years ago. And to this day, I still think about a lot of the things that we talked about. Um, so I, I'm hoping that, you know, at least one thing resonates um, with you listening. Now, the title of this episode, I just want to clear up one thing, talks about play and bewilderment. And I think we're all familiar with the idea of playing. Maybe you think of a child, you know, it had, maybe for you it's synonymous with freedom. Um, but bewilderment can be a little more abstract. And it may also be negative. Um, most people want to be clear about things. So bewilderment is like, well, why would I want to be bewildered? Um, wouldn't that just cause confusion? But the way I'm thinking about bewilderment here is the idea of curiosity and wrestling with the unknown, which I think, honestly, to live a fulfilled life, in my opinion, um, involves a lot of bewilderment. No one knows everything, um, and there's always more learning to do. So bewilderment in that way and, and being curious and kind of going hand in hand with play, that's that's how I'm thinking of bewilderment here. And you might be thinking, but don't professionals know what they're doing? Shouldn't professionals in any field know what they're talking about? And I mean, to a certain extent, yes, but largely I would say no, you know, not if they're legitimate, because in my opinion, you should never stop learning, refining, or improving yourself. And one way to do that is by asking questions. And I will say often with my own students in composition classes and creative writing classes, if they have questions about things or about their own writing, I don't often give, you know, short solutions unless it's something clear cut, like, am I spelling this word correctly? Um, more so, I ask questions like, what would happen if you did this? What would happen if you moved this paragraph to the end instead of the beginning? Um, this isn't as clear. What do you mean here? I ask a lot of questions because I want students to think critically and to not be satisfied with short, you know, easy answers. I want them to wrestle. And that's something I, I try to live by in my own life as well. So now the context for these excerpts that I'm going to read is giving advice for putting together a poetry manuscript, as I mentioned earlier. And this first excerpt deals almost directly with bewilderment because Honestly, it includes questions I'm still wrestling with, however many years after the fact. So Pat says, Somehow the juxtaposition of unlike poems might reveal something to you that you didn't know about your work or yourself. And then when talking about putting poems into categories, he goes on to say, Let's say you splice together two poems, one from romantic love and one from faith. Does the new hybrid piece reveal something about the relationship between love, between humans, and love between you and God? Isn't that what we want? Don't we want to discover new connections between things where we didn't realize there were connections? I feel 
I feel like too much of your meditation and some of your poetry, of what I know anyway, is about the confluence of the sacred and the worldly. This, for me, is powerful. Is it too much to suggest that we, human beings, are actually the nexus, the meeting point of the divine and physical worlds? Is it at all possible for poetry to manifest this? So I spent much of my last semester of grad school wondering about the intersections of the different areas of my life, like love and all of its different forms, my relationship with my mother, my relationship with God, and how it could all fit together in one book because I'd written about all of this and other things as well. And all of it felt like it was in its own stark section, but Pat really encouraged me to mix it together. And in this mixing, there can be connections and surprises even with language that may not be found in another way. Uh, In the last episode, Anne Lamott talks about being surprised and finding this one wild line that couldn't be found with another, with a more grown-up way of writing. And sometimes you you don't want to be grown up in your own creative work um, because through play and certainly through bewilderment is a lot of times where you find the good stuff, the stuff that really resonates not only with you, but with your audience as well. And I mean, the questions here that Pat asks, I think are, they're heavy and they're, (laughs) they're hard to answer. And I don't even know if they have answers really, you know, is, I mean, is it too much to suggest that humans are the meeting point between the divine and the physical? I mean, I'd like to think so, but perhaps I'm saying that because I am human and I'd, I'd like to think that I'm, I'm sort of elevated to that ideal. But if that's the case, you know, how, how do you articulate that? How do we do that? How do we even live that? Um, and what happens when we fail at it? You know, I don't know, but it could be interesting to wrestle with that in writing um, or painting or sculpture or any other medium even podcasting, which I guess technically is what, what I'm doing right now, right? And we're, we're wrestling with all of that together. Um, what I should also say is that, you know, what, another question I want to also mention is, what is the effect of mixing as opposed to putting things in sections or neat labels? And sometimes it seems to me that labels, while they can be helpful, often cause more confusion than anything because no one is just one label or no one really fits into one neat label. Um, so wrestle with that confusion. And again, you know, that's that's something that could be interesting to try and manifest or capture or articulate in creative work. Now, this next excerpt deals with this mixing that we've been discussing, but it also gives some ideas for how to mix and play. Pat says, For me, it is a gift when I find seams between two seemingly unrelated incidents or images. And in poetry, I think there may be other opportunities among your numerous drafts to mash up pieces, get weird, stitch, cut, paste, seam, and weld. After the initial synthesis, you must ask yourself again, who is speaking to whom and about what? Does the juxtaposition give you something new? Is there something surprising here? There are more lines in each of these two poems. I wonder if you wanted to try to continue this, shuffle the order, even rewrite the lines. 
Type their opposite. In short, play. I think there is an intimate connection between play and prayer. Sift through the fragments. Think of collage, but think of contextualizing the collage, filling in holes with names and places. So for the visual artists out there, if you want to think of wordplay as collage, I think that's a really great metaphor or a really great way to translate wordplay and writing into visual art. You know, you glue random pieces together in collage because you see a connection or you're hoping to find one and you add layers and it's okay if not everything is seen because it builds the context and it builds the platform for what ultimately is visible. And this creates depth for those, for I think for both visual art and also verse. Um, what a, one other suggestion that I would make for play and for this mixing, um, if you're a visual artist, is cut the canvas. One of the latest pieces I've been working on on canvas, I have, gosh, I haven't probably haven't taken it out in about a year, but I started cutting the actual canvas. And sometimes that sort of seems taboo because the platform that we work on, right, we think we need to keep it intact in order to fully realize our vision, but sometimes you don't. So I've been cutting the canvas. And I mean, if you want, you can try and like sew it back together, glue it together to show that that scar, right, that, that seam. And it can give a really interesting look to your work. And I wonder if it might also be interesting, too, to show the seams, as it were, of the writing. You know, leave some words that you normally would cut and see what type of finish um, or effect that has on your writing. Another suggestion Pat has that I love is type the opposite. That's something I, I really hadn't thought of until Pat suggested it because my thinking was, you know, don't you write down what you want to say, right? And how you want to say it, or at least you have the idea or the vibe. And the answer I think is not always, you know, what if something is hidden or we want to forget something, or what if what you want to say really hasn't found language yet, or it hasn't found its color yet, um, or its medium. Much play in language and in visual art consists of asking the question, what would happen if? So if you're stuck, you know, try a couple of these things. Try doing the opposite. If you're working in a certain color palette, try the complementary palette um, and see what happens. If you're writing, type the opposite of what you're writing to, to kind of get out of your head um, and stitch, you know, just stitch different things together. If you're stuck with a certain piece, try pulling in a few lines from another writer or pulling in a few lines from another piece, a completely different piece that you've written and see what happens. Um, again, you know, a lot of this play consists of asking, what if, what would happen if I did X or Y or both? Now I'm going to make a connection in this next uh, shorter excerpt with episode three, or, I'm sorry, not episode three, episode 13. Pat says, that's exactly what we want to tap into, memory, or more accurately, forgetting. We want to try to write, as Joseph Legaspi says, about the things we would rather forget. So in episode 13, the second episode of this series, I spoke about writing what scares you. And I think this 
uh, excerpt that I just read deals a lot with that because many things that scare us, we want to forget, right? We don't want to dwell on our fears or traumatic experience or negativity or rejection or anything like that. You know, and it, it begs the question, right? Why do we forget and why do we bury things? It's because we don't want to remember. Perhaps it's because of the pain um, or because maybe we feel we can't learn anything from it or maybe we just need to get past something to move on to something better. And it's questions like these and working through them that can get at bewilderment and also pain but they can also uncover some really great material for art and um, to learn from, things that we can learn from in life. And asking these big or seemingly unanswerable questions really gets to the deep, often scary uh, places. But as I, you know, as I just said, that's really where a lot of the good art in any form takes shape. Um, sometimes you need to excavate. Uh, and by that, I mean, you know, mine the places you'd rather not go. And again, it doesn't have to be like the worst experience you ever had. It can be something that's maybe only mildly unpleasant, but mine it a little bit, excavate and see what comes out of it. Um, and this isn't to say, you know, put yourself through unnecessary pain by thinking and dwelling on traumatic experiences you've had, but it's more to say, look at what you've been through and look for inspiration unlikely places it doesn't necessarily have to be the happy places or if you mostly do go to happy places um go to dark ones if you usually go to dark ones go to light places or happy places um again play and try and get at some tools you wouldn't usually use or methods you wouldn't usually use the last excerpt that i'm going to read uh deals with this idea of forgetting and filling in the specifics. Pat says, I often ask about names. There is a you, and I know it is not the same you throughout the collection. It will not hurt the, po the poem to name the person. Name not just people, though, but places. History will forget them. Poetry remembers. To name is an act of revolution. However small, it is an act of defiance and memory and love. And it is okay to defy, remember, and love one thing, one person, all at the same time. I left this quote for last because it's probably my favorite that I chose to read. Um, because I think probably one of the most important lessons that I learned in grad school is that specificity is universal. And... You might be wondering, but how can someone inject their own meaning or relate to what I'm saying if I'm specific? Don't I need to be broad? Um, and you'd really be surprised because being broad doesn't really have as much resonance with the audience. It doesn't really impact them as much. Um, but it's really when you're authentic and specific to your own experiences that people can fill in their own gaps. Um and I also want to talk about just two mini quotes from the passage, which is poetry remembers. I mean, I just love that, right? History will forget, but poetry remembers. I mean, what we're taught in school of history or even what's covered in current events and on the media isn't the whole of what's going on in the world. And it can't be, it can't cover everything, but it's really 
the stories about one person that can be so fascinating because they're just filled with all of these specifics that we can relate to or not, but they lend all of this authenticity. Um, and so I'd encourage you in your own work, whether it is writing or another form, to be specific and to not be afraid to fill in those gaps. And the last uh, quote that I want to look at is, to name is an act of revolution, and it is okay to defy. Now, uh, you know, the quote that I read from Pat's excerpt is longer, but that's really what I wanted to get at. And when I read this, you know, five, six years ago, it really gave me permission to defy and do what I want. And though, of course, you don't need permission, right, to do what you want and to write or paint, or draw, or podcast, or broadcast, whatever you want. But for me, I did. You know, I felt like I needed that permission. You know, it it is okay to defy, right? Like, that's just so great. And I think it also begs the question, right, why do we need revolution? Not just on a grander scale. Remember, it's often the stories about one person um, that are very specific, that are the most engaging. So why might you also need revolution in your own life? And how might you enact that, right? How might you play at whatever revolution in your own life? How, what are you bewildered about that needs a revolution? Is it naming something that happened to you? Is it filling in the gaps of your own history? Like, you know, grandparents or great grandparents, is it um, naming a goal that you're too afraid to admit, or, you know, not necessarily afraid, but maybe embarrassed. Um, there is great power in naming things, um, and sort of throwing them out, you know, to yourself or bouncing them off somebody else. So, uh, if you're having trouble naming, remember it's okay to defy, you can do that. Um, and it's fun too, sometimes, uh, with this whole play and bewilderment, it, there is a lot of excavating and, and deep thinking and critical thinking, but, you know, there's also a lot of fun to be had as well. So thanks so much for listening uh, to this last episode of the Everything I Know About series. And I hope that at least some of the questions or ideas that I've posed, uh, not only in this episode, but in previous episodes as well, has made you think and that you'll carry them with you for at least a little bit and wrestle with them. That's my hope um, and really my hope for this whole series. And as usual, if you have any comments or questions or just want to continue the conversation, uh, reach out to me using the links provided in the show notes. So it's <laughs> Friday the 8th and next week going back to the weekly schedule. Um, so just point posting episodes once per week. So the next episode will come out Friday, the 15th. And lastly, if you like the podcast, I would be so honored if you would give it a rating and I'll include the link for that in the show notes. So thanks again for joining me. I hope this series was fun and valuable to you and I will see you all next week.